Welcome to All the Things with Monique Dusan from the Center for Biblical Unity and theology mom, Krista Bontrager. And now, here's Krista and Monique. This is all the things. We are finally back. I am Monique Dusan. And I am Krista Bontrager still. Yes. Even <laughs> after a long break, a hiatus. Yeah. It was good. Well, my gosh. We did our last show in October. The end of October. was yeah. uh, Laura Powell. And then I did a special show with Heather, Heather Peterson yeah. uh, a week or two later. So, Yeah. It's been a it's been a minute. It's been a minute. We have missed you, but we are so glad to be back. We actually got some time to rest and some, get sick. Some of it was forced rest, but we were <laughs> able to rest. And my gosh, we got a new office. Um, what else? You had a kid go to college. Yes, there's been a lot of changes. It's been a big transition. It's been hard. Uh, Any empty nesters out there? <laughs> Some advice for me because I'm not coping well. It's been robust, people. It's been robust. Hard. And we're starting our new season yes. off with an amazing, amazing individual, Mr. Beckett Cook. Yep. Now, what let me let me ask you this. What was the highlight of of the break for you? Um Did you have a highlight? I don't know. I got a lot done. Because we weren't on the road all the time. So, no, I got caught up on a, a lot of stuff. And uh, that felt good. Because I was starting, by the end of the Minnesota trip, I was starting to feel really, really behind mm. on some things. And so I think, you know, one thing is that at the Center for Biblical Unity blog, like one of the big accomplishments over the break was getting the blog going again. And um, just getting people scheduled for blog posts and you know, we've kind of set in a goal of um, trying to do 24 blog posts this year to really increase the value of the blog and create some short, shareable pieces. Some will be on the more academic side. Some will be more on the personal story side and some will be kind of in between. So that was that was a good accomplishment. Yes. Now, if you are new to all the things and this might be your first time watching us and you aren't familiar with us, we also co-founded a ministry, the Center for Biblical Unity. And that ministry is focused on having safe and sane conversations around race, justice and unity from a historically biblical perspective. Not all the crazy in the world. So check that out. Check us out at Center for Biblical Unity dot com. Some people discovered we have a podcast. We were on hiatus too long. You you know what? (laughs) We were on hiatus so Uh -uh. long, people forgot we had a podcast. And I want to call out some people, but I don't want to hurt no feelings. But people writing it, you have a podcast? Yes, we have a podcast. You know you've been on hiatus too long. Too long. (laughs) All right, so we are live, and uh, I want to say a thank you to Bob Bontrager, who has been supporting us and made that fancy new opening. Yes. Oh, Oh, you're a little out of focus. A little mysterious tonight. There we go. Okay. So uh, we uh, have that great new opening. We hope you enjoy it. And uh, helping us in the conversation on the chat box tonight is Laura Hartley and Jennifer Bytel. Yes. Yes. Hello, ladies. Now, I just want to give a shout out to some people who are in the chat room Mm -hmm. on YouTube. We have my Uncle Jeff. We have Miss Jennifer Bytel. There is Jan True, 27, in Los Angeles. Hey, my home, my home, L.A. Yes, we have Gwenda, 
Asenath Spencer. Um, I'm sorry if I didn't pronounce that correct. Andre. Correctly. Um, Andre is here. Alyssa's here. Natalie's here. Yes, yes. Tina yes. Schuler's from there from Arizona. Hey, so. Tina. Yes, Natalie from Miami. Glad to Ooh, see everybody. Be in Miami. No, we're not. We're going to Boca Raton. We're going to, uh, yeah. I got to work on my Florida geography. Um, I'm sorry. I just can't wait to be in the sun and the water. Yes. So okay. this, we're going to try to stay to the script. I know you haven't done this in a while. Here's the script over here. Well, there's so, that. You can <laughs> go ahead. So we want to invite you to share, uh, to support the show. Click on the share button. Uh, hit that thumbs up. Make sure you're still subscribed. This show is brought to you by the Center for Biblical Unity. Whoop, whoop. The your Mom podcast and... Family 210 Clothing. Yes. And also Impact 360. That's right. See, oh, you haven't done all, this in a while. All. She is going to call me out, y'all. <laughs> so I want to encourage people, if they missed the family meeting, which is a little stream that you do on Thursday nights mm -hmm. over at the Center for Biblical Unity, if people, I think probably the... The most common question I got over the hiatus was actually related to a show we did right at the end of the season with Joy, uh -huh. who was an anonymous. You did that. I wasn't yeah, here. Uh -huh. Yeah, an anonymous uh, associate dean at a Christian college. We did a deep dive into diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm -hmm. That was definitely the most um, people, I, I had the most inquiries and mail about that podcast. And I've had about a podcast in a while. But you just did an interview this past Thursday, kind of continuing that conversation on diversity, equity, and inclusion at Christian colleges with our friend Marcus Robinson. Yeah, from Life Pacific University. Yeah. And he's really approaching the conversation of DEI in a unique way. He's a DEI officer he's there. He's a DEI officer there. He's the director of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, you know, I think just the title itself can make people kind of like, you know, it's like nails on a chalkboard. No one wants to hear it. Yet the the sound and the words are everywhere. And people are nervous because it's like, I don't want to send my kid to a university with a DEI officer or director. And I don't know what they're getting into. But Marcus is really approaching the conversation from a biblical position. He's not for DEI. I mean, it just happens to be the name of his title. Because it's sort of a leftover yeah. from the previous situation. But I think... If people missed that family meeting or you haven't been to a family meeting in a while. That's one to check. That's out. a good one to go check out. Um, but uh, and, and hear Marcus's perspective. Um, and he, he just gave a lot of great wisdom yeah. on, on that stream. So go check that out over at the Center for Biblical Unity uh, YouTube channel. So, all right. Tonight on the show. Yes. Uh is the guy that I'm on the reality tour with. Yes. Santa Reason has a reality tour, a teen apologetics conference, and Beckett and I get to do it together. We get to travel. We're going to be in Texas in just a few weeks. Yep. So, yes. Yeah. So, if you haven't yet checked out the reality tour, um, you can go uh, check that out through our friends at Stand a Reason mm -hmm. and um, come join us in Dallas if there's still tickets left. All right, so tonight on the show, we thought it'd be fun to have Beckett on. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't think it's any big secret that the conversation about LGBT issues is on the rise, especially among young people, and race issues is right there, too. So that's why they have both of you on mm -hmm. the reality tour. Um, but I thought, you know, we thought it would be great to bring Beckett on, hear a little bit of his story, and maybe ask him about what he's noticing as yeah. he's interacting with young people on the tour, 
uh, what he's seeing in culture. He used to work in Hollywood. So he's kind of uh, has good insights into culture. Thought it'd be fun to, to yeah. talk to him and get him on the show. So let's see if he's there. Mr. Hollywood. There he is. I'm here. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hi, guys. Hey. Now, how are you? I'm doing okay. As I, as you guys know, my Instagram just got hacked, so I'm kind of stressed out. But we're gonna ignore that for now and just move on. Okay, it's gonna take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. But you know, Satan loves to just like rattle me before these important discussions. Yeah. This is this is his little thing he did. His little gambit. That's right. Yes. 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 No coincidences. Yeah. Well, we will just ask people to pray for you. Yeah. Yes. yes. So Thank for you. those who, who might be new to your story now, I know we got a lot of people who are also Beckett fans. Yes. And follow both of us. But I've had people like email in and they're like, you should really post a picture with you and Beckett because you guys are on the tour together. And I'm like, <laughs> OK. <laughs> so for the five people who might be watching that aren't familiar with your story, Beckett, maybe you can tell us a little bit of laying the context about uh, your upbringing and, and a little bit about your journey. Yeah, I mean, so I grew up in Dallas, Texas. I, uh, at a very young age, I knew, I realized that I was attracted to the same sex. And that was very much forbidden at the time, taboo and growing up in Dallas at that time. And so I kind of um, sort of lived this secret life because I had this on the outside I, I had lots of friends and school and was popular but then on the inside I was like struggling with this thing and but it wasn't I got into high school I went to an all-boys school and um, I ended up becoming best friends with someone who was going through the same thing and we came out to each other and that really kind of opened the Pandora's box because once that happened all bets were off. Like we went, we explored gay culture together in Dallas. We went to gay bars. We went to nightclubs. We, uh, we, which we'll get to in a minute, but we went when I was, I think I was only 14. I think maybe I was 15 when I served, when I saw my first drag show at a gay bar in Dallas. And that had a huge impact on me, which we can get to later when we talk about that. But um, and then same thing in college, best friend, gay, came out to each other. So I had a confidant. And then after college, moved to Tokyo for a year. And uh, that's where I ended up. Uh, this, this, this guy from Dallas came to visit me and my friend in Tokyo. And that guy and I ended up falling in love. And that's when, that's when homosexual behavior became an identity for me. It wasn't just a behavior anymore. It was like who I was to the core. And I came out to my family and friends. And then I, after all that, I moved to Hollywood. And then um, in LA, you know, I lived as a gay man and, and I dated many guys, uh, had a, you know, had a mixed group of friends, some straight, some gay and um, kind of lived the life in LA, did, you know, did everything, movie premieres, uh, Oscars, Emmys, Golden Globes, all the after parties, all the, I, I went, I met everyone, did everything you can possibly do in LA. <laughs> I mean, you name it, I did it. Went to Prince's house for a private concert at his backyard, like so many things. And um, 
And then all that kind of came to a head in 2009 and at Paris Fashion Week, I was there and I went to a bunch of the shows and uh, I used to go to Fashion Week in New York and Paris a lot. And I, but I was, I went to a lot of the shows and they have after parties. Most of them have after parties. And so I, I was at an after party. Everyone was there from the fashion world, including Kanye. And it was just, I felt a complete sense of emptiness at this party. And it was like, I've been sustained. I, you know, I've been chasing shiny objects since I was like 14. Cause even in high school, I was always invited to crazy things like Saint-Tropez for the summer or here or there. And so I had been sort of sustained by this kind of like party life, uh, not party life, but just like, I, I kind of, and God was never an option for me because I, I was gay. So I, I knew that Christianity was never an option for me. So I, I, that's what I thought life was all about was having kind of these extraordinary experiences, you know, making it big in Hollywood and finding true love. Those were the three things. And so uh, after that night in Paris, which was very disturbing, because it was kind of like, is the, I had that moment of, is that all there is? Mm. And I just was like, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? I can't keep going to these parties and to these things and meeting these people and to dinners. And like, this is not going to sustain me anymore. And so um, I was up all night in a panic, got back to LA, got busy with work again. At that time, I was a production designer in the fashion world and um, got busy with work. And then six months later, I was at a coffee shop in Silver Lake in LA and I met a group of Christians and they ended up inviting me to their church in Hollywood called Reality LA. And uh, I, of course, asked them, you know, what does your church believe about homosexual homosexuality, I said. And they said, well, we believe it's a sin. And, and that didn't shock me. And it also, the reason I didn't flee from their table is because I, because I had that night in Paris six months before where I was questioning kind of everything about life. Hmm. and the meaning of life you know I'd always wanted to know the obviously the meaning of life like everyone wants to know that and and I and it was really weighing down on me in a big way and so I was kind of open to hearing anything cut to I the next following Sunday I wake up and I end up going to this church uh I don't know how I it was it felt like God just dragged me to this church um that's a little reformed comment but <laughs> <laughs> And so I, <laughs> I, anyway, I, I, it was the first time I had been in an evangelical church and, um, I heard the sermon on Romans chapter seven and it blew me away. Like everything just resonated with me as truth. Every word, every sentence, the preacher was, the pastor was preaching was resonating as truth. And I didn't know why. And I was completely riveted to the sermon, literally, literally on the edge of my seat. After the sermon, this person on the side of the auditorium prayed for me, this guy um, on the prayer ministry, on the prayer team. And, and then that was amazing. That was really powerful too, because I was like, why does this random straight dude care about me so much? Because his prayer, it was just very loving, his prayer. And, and then I went back to my seat and there was 25 more minutes of worship music. I sat down, everyone else is standing up singing. I sit down, seconds after I sit down, the Holy Spirit is just like, like floods me 
and God in that moment revealed himself to me. And he's like, I'm God. Jesus is my son. This is, this is in my mind. This is what he said. It's so I still remember it so clearly. He said, I'm God. Jesus is my son. Heaven is real. Hell is real. The Bible is true. Welcome to my kingdom. And I immediately burst into tears and couldn't, and I was sobbing harder than I had ever sobbed in my life and for the next 25 minutes. And then it happened a second time I got home, got into bed to take a nap because I was so freaked out by it all. And God was like, let me show you some more of my glory. And I was like, whoa. And I jumped out of my bed and I, in the middle of my bedroom, I said, God, you have my whole life. I'm yours. I'm done. And I knew in that moment that homosexual behavior was sinful. I knew that it was wrong. I knew that it was no longer a part of my future. I knew that dating guys was no longer a part of my future, but I didn't care because I just met Jesus. And I was like, I'm going to go with that guy. Forget those guys. Um, and that was 12 years ago, September 20th, 2009. And, uh, and I've, I haven't looked back since. Wow. What a great story. I know. Like that's, it. it's awesome, you know, to see what God can do and what he chooses to do. And it's funny how, or not funny, but like interesting how it started even when you were in Paris, you know, just that the ways of the culture or the world, whatever, um, weren't satisfying. Coming to the end of yourself. Yeah. Coming to the end yeah. of yourself is, you know, and I think that so many of us get to, or need to get to a point where, it, you know, like these things just aren't satisfying. And when you find um, or when you encounter like the Lord and have the re the realization that he is truly the only one who can fulfill all of our needs, who can satisfy, it's such a, a stark contrast to what the world offers. Because what the world offers is definitely not filling, satisfying yeah. or anything like that. And we want to commend yeah. to people uh, Beckett's story is in his book, A Change of Affection to get the whole thing. He's just giving us a little slice here. There it is. Oh, there it is. Yes. I keep doing it. Yes. Wrong. There you go. Yeah. So it's go check it out. Yeah. You were going to yeah, say something. By the way, this, the book is not just my story. Cause I, there's a second part of the book that I, it's called reflections. And I reflect on the issue of homosexuality through kind of unexpected biblical stories. So there's, a, and there's like, I do a whole section on what parents like do's and don'ts of parents what parents should do and not do and if their child comes out, et cetera, et cetera. I go through all that. So anyway. Great. Yes. Now let me ask you this. Um, well, let me start with what I'm noticing. I think over the last year, what I've noticed is a lot of people, parents really upset and like decrying this agenda and what they're calling an agenda to really have the, um, or from the LGBTQ plus community to come after their kids. There was the whole um, San Francisco, I want to say gay men's choir yeah. that, you know, we're going to come for your kids and things like that. We'll like, convert your children. Yeah. Yes, we will convert your children. Um, do you think that there is a specific agenda um, directly attached to kids? Like, yes, this is very intentional. Do you, or do you lean more in the idea of, well, you know, it just kind of is happening that way. Well, there's a couple things. Uh, what's funny about the gay men's San Francisco gay men's choir is they came out later after all the the backlash they got. They said it was like, oh, this was ironic, and it was. And it's like 
but how is that ironic? Because it's actually real. It's true. Like it's happening in real time. There's drag queen story hour. Like, how is that? And, um, which by the way, before I get to your answer, when I mentioned that I saw my first drag show when I was 14 or 15 at a gay bar, I was, even that age was too young to see that because I remember that experience being so powerful and scary and like titillating. And um, it really did something to me, like seeing that. It was really like a, it was kind of a, a paradigm shift for me in terms of like what reality, like it just changed so much in me. And, and so those things are so, so, so dangerous, especially for, you know, kindergartners or first graders. I can't even imagine being that young and being exposed to that mm -hmm. because it's, it's like this, it's like a sexualized version. It's a hyper-sexualized version of it's kind of all kinds of, um, of it's 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 hypersexuality and eroticism being kind of performed through this visual kind of medium that's very shocking and it's very very I think it's very very dangerous and bad. But to get to your question, um, it's funny because in the <laughs> In the, you know, in the 90s, my friends and I, my gay friends and I, we used to make fun of the, the term homosexual agenda. Because um, it was, I think it was in, in politics, there was a lot of talk about that. And we, we laughed, we thought it was such a like goofy thing. And we thought it was a joke. And, and I, we, I, we used to actually call each other. And instead of saying, what are you doing today? Like, what are you doing today? We would call each other and say, what's on your homosexual agenda today? And uh, as a joke, and that's how we felt about it. But obviously like looking back on it now as a believer, as a Christian, I see that there's two things, two prongs to this. Number one, I see that yes, there is an agenda. In fact, there was a book called After the Ball. It's no longer in print, praise God. Um, but it was written by Marshall Kirk, two gay men, Marshall Kirk and Hunter Matson. To one, I think they both went to Harvard. And the subtitle of the book is How America Will Conquer Its Fear and Hatred of Gays in the 90s. It was written in 1989 or published in 89. And it literally, this book is insane. I just read it actually, because uh, I'm doing, working on another book. But the book kind of lays out how to convince America that homosexual behavior is good and righteous and try and uh, ways to normalize it. And so on the one hand, yes, there is a concerted effort to indoctrinate children and to obviously like everything is LGBTQ, like all, every, uh, and schools are, schools are embracing it. Public schools are embracing this ideology. On the other hand, you have to remember, because, you know, when I was in the dark, when I didn't know Christ, I did, uh, I tried to create a lot of content uh, in terms of TV shows and movies. I wrote spec screenplays and TV spec shows. I sold two TV shows. 
but my the content I was create I was trying to create was was very much gay themed and almost all of it not all of it but almost all of it and so from my perspective being in the dark I thought I was doing a good thing I thought that I was helping people I was helping to open people's minds and help them to understand and so it's like a two ways it's a weird um, tension because yes on the one hand there is an effort to indoctrinate but on, on, the, on the other hand it's coming from a place of darkness it's coming from a, an utter place of utter darkness and uh and you know i was even guilty of that you know so i understand that i understand wanting to push this narrative and push this agenda i wanted to do a show I talked about this in an episode of, on my show, but I, I wanted to do a show in the like 2002, which almost got made and where my best friend and I would travel a reality show. We would travel the country and explore gay culture in America and in small towns, big cities. And our goal was to show how normal and fun and great gay people were like homosexual behavior was basically. Um, so we, I was, I was very much on board to, to help people come to better, a better understanding of that and to come to celebrate homosexual behavior. I had no idea <laughs> that I was doing anything, you know, wrong. So, so yes, on the one hand, there is an agenda, but on the other hand, the agenda is, it's hard to say because like a lot of people don't even realize that they're promoting it. Like I didn't realize I was promoting really an agenda. I right. just thought like I'm promoting reality and truth. Like uh, this is, you know, I want people to understand this, this issue better. It sounds so similar to, I would say even like my journey with race, you know, it wasn't like I was intentionally trying to, um, you know, cause issues or dissension or, you know, lead people down some dark path or anything like that. It was really from a heart of compassion. If you just understood, you know, this is the way that we make better race relations. This is the way that we can be unified. And I hear the same thing in what you're saying. It's like, you know, there's this lifestyle that people are shunning or not, not even, you know, maybe not intentionally shunning, but are not familiar with. So if I can highlight, if I can open it up and show you that this is really fun and that gay people are good and, you know, things like that, then there'll be more conversation. There'll be more awareness. Unfortunately, it's the dark, the dark path. Yeah. Yeah, That, that book after the ball, just in case people miss the title when Beckett said earlier, this is a book that he was talking about earlier. It's hard to get. I had a donor who got this for me. Um, but it, it is a very interesting read because they're basically laying out the blueprint for how to normalize um, the gay culture hmm. and gay behavior 30 years ago. Yeah. And, and it's pretty much played out the way that they predicted that it would. It is an interesting, interesting yeah, I book. Get, I had to get my, cop, my copy of the book from the West Hollywood Library. So because it's out of print. Or yeah, I, think it's out of print. I got it from a through a dig, uh used bookstore but uh it was expensive a donor got it for me there it is so yeah yeah now we both are on um stan to reasons reality apologetics tour 
as you are talking with students, talking with parents, I'm sure you have had many interesting conversations um, about the topic of LGBTQ+, maybe even, you know, kids and their struggle and things like that. What are you seeing? Like, what, what, what's the, I don't want to say vibe, like, that's not the right word to use, but what is, what is the overall theme? You know, if you could say, you know, this is the theme or this is the feel, this is what people are, you know, coming to me with or their concerns. Can you give us kind of a, yeah. a hint into I'm, that world? It, it's really strange because... When I was coming up um, and coming out, there it seemed like very few people were gay or bisexual or you know trans or lesbian or whatever. It back in the day, it was very um, it was very much of a very small small subculture. But what I'm seeing now with these kids, it's so heartbreaking because and and I know it's because of two things, which I'll get to in a minute, but what, what uh, so many kids come up to me after I talk and they tell me about their themselves or their classmates or their, you know, their best friends who are gay or who are trans or who, and I'm just like, what? Like nobody in my, I, I was the only one in my high school who was gay. Like, or t there was like me and one other guy, you know what I mean? It's just like, so what, what, what's happening? Why is there such a pervasiveness now of this kind of LGBTQ stuff going on with young kids and, and junior high and high school? And number one, it's Satan. Satan is fueling this through the culture and he's thrilled. He's thrilled that he's got the whole world deceived and uh, he's laughing all the way to the bank because he... <laughs> He's he's winning this battle. He's not going to win the war. We know that, but he's winning this battle with this issue, and it's and so he's fueling it. But the culture is obviously we're inundated. Every TV show, every movie, every thing we watch, every billboard is not every, but so many are celebrating homosexual behavior and celebrating. LGBTQ, which I don't even, I don't even like that acronym, but um, so they're, they're celebrating that. And it's being, it's being, it's as uh, this writer who wrote this book called Making Gay Okay. It's a, such a great book. I think his name is Robert O'Reilly, uh, but he, he's a Christian. He, I think he's Roman Catholic, but he talks about, he basically writes the Christian version of after the ball. Mm and says, this is what has happened. So over the last 30, 40, 50 years, homosexual behavior has gone from a sin to a sacrament. And he traces how that is, he traces how that's happened. And uh, it's, it's stunning to me because it, when those kids come up to me and tell me that they all, and it's just shocking that the amount of kids who who, who claim to struggle with this and who claim to be gay or bisexual or whatever. Um, I'm just kind of like, are you sure? I don't say this, but I think what's really happening is that, you know, back in my day to kind of be sort of punk rock or whatever, you got a tattoo or you, you know, you rebelled in certain ways or 
whatever. Uh, but now I think the way to get attention or to rebel is to just suddenly say, hey, I'm trans. Yeah, I, 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 I think you might be onto something there because I've, I've wondered that too, if it's like the new form of rebelling against your parents. Yes. Or if it's also because of a lot of the conversation, this is just a theory. I'm not saying this is a word from the Lord. This isn't a prophecy, but I've wondered if a lot of the conversation in our culture right now of against white people and having white skin, but if you, if you don't want to be in the oppressor class, you can instantly jump into an oppressed class yes. by coming out as gay or trans. And it's almost even not enough just to be gay now. Like gay is almost passe. It's you, you, you really, what you really want to do is have trans credit or am I just imagining that Beckett? No, you're in fact, um, I was at, I, so this was maybe five years ago. I went to the opera in LA with my best, with, with my old best friend who is still, he's not a Christian. Um, I went to the opera and we, we went to the opera with, to a gay couple, um, two men. And the, one of the main, the, one of the guys is, uh, a huge, huge producer at HBO. And, and I think he does stuff for Netflix as well. And it was funny during intermission, we were outside kind of just chatting and he was telling us that they were having a hard time finding directors for this TV show he was working on because there were so many uh, mandates about it. You know, we have to have a certain amount of trans directors. We have to have a certain amount of gay directors, blah, 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 blah. And so he said that it was really hard because they couldn't find a trans. It was hard finding the trans directors who, who knew how to do this type of show because it was a very specific type of show. And then my friend said, my, my old best friend said to him, well, what about, what about gays? And he said, oh, pff, that's passe. He literally said what you just said. He said, oh, that's passe. Like, no, they don't care about gays anymore. You have to be like trans now. So it's gotten so extreme. It has, it, so the intersectionality stuff, it has, you have to be so, you can't just be a gay minority. You have to be a trans minority. It's just, it's, you have to keep, it's like the oppression Olympics, as Dave Rubin calls it. You just have to keep getting more and more into how how many ways can I be oppressed and how can I show that to people? And I think that that's very enticing to young people because they want to be seen as um, oppressed. And they also want to be seen because there's a certain Gnosticism to this, like if uh you know, like a, a trans person somehow has special knowledge. Yes. And, and it's like, so a, 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 a impressionable kid in high school or junior high wants to have some sort of special knowledge and have some sort of insight into something interesting and cool. So they're like, oh, I'm trans. And so now I have that special knowledge. Now I'm oppressed. Now I'm a sexual minority. Now you have to treat me in a certain elevated way. And, you know, you can't say certain things to me. You have to use certain pronouns for me. And, and it's so, it's all demonic. It's just all from straight from the pit of hell. 
and it's it's and as i said it's fueled by satan and satan is the is the god of the prince of confusion and he's confusing so many young people and it's so heartbreaking and it's hard it's heartbreaking for their parents like i mean i can't even imagine being a parent in this age with young kids because the parents are just kind of like what they're baffled they don't even know what to think i get so many emails from parents who are just like i'm completely i don't even know what to do my kid my my son now says he's a woman a girl like my 14 year old son now says he's a girl and it's just to me it's just such a sad kind of period in history i mean there's been all in christian history and before christian history but in christian history it, there's been you know very traumatic even in the first century there obviously was very difficult times like nero was burning people in his part he was lighting christians on fire at his parties to illuminate the party he was putting you know having animals tear apart christians um so there's always been this kind of crazy culture and obviously you know when paul in first in like for, for example in first corinthians the the christians in corinth were were nuts. They were doing all sorts of crazy things and they didn't know, you know, it was, so the, the Greco-Roman cult in antiquity, the Greco-Roman culture was very much uh, like our culture is now. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's nothing new. There's nothing really new about it. It's just what's kind of new about it is this, uh, that it's, if, because for in our, at least in our in the West, I don't know. I don't know about the whole world, but at least in the West, this has has been homosexual behavior and these other LGBTQ things have been taboo up until recently, and so uh, until relatively recently, and so that's the new thing is that um, it's become almost mandatory for corporations for you know networks for tv networks movie uh studios to completely jump on board with this and uh even if they don't even feel like it's right they just they're they they're had they have to jump on board or else, or else they're going to be canceled and so i just i find that this this period of in history is very very disturbing there's so much social pressure. Like there, when you look at the high school, junior high school kid, there's a ton of, you know, pressure to be accepted just, you know, and, and wanting to be included in all that the brain is like literally doing physically doing um, neurologically at that time. And, and how in groups, you know, mean so much and things like that. So then if your in group is all trans or, you know, telling you, well, hey, you can have this, you know, special knowledge if you, you know, just subscribe to this or I would say, and in addition to that, the time in junior, junior high school, especially, but, you know, junior high and the first years in high school, you're so awkward. Like, it's just a time where it's like, I don't know who I am. I'm still developing. I'm trying to figure out, does, will anyone like me? Will I ever date? And, you know, if, if you're not approached by someone, well, of course, girls and guys alike will say, well, maybe you're gay. What? Maybe you're trans. Maybe you're, have you looked at this? And so they're, they're providing as like a, just another route. Like there, you don't have to date. Maybe you're just looking at the wrong sex. Yeah. I mean, even people like me 
growing up, uh, you know, we're, we've kind of erased the whole category of tomboys. But, I mean, I've just been the chronic tomboy all, all my life, and I'm okay with that. I've just been a little different. But I think if I had been growing up now, the social pressure that that being a tomboy isn't really what you are, what you really are is you're supposed to be a boy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you should start transitioning I never had those messages as a child, yeah. but I can imagine how destructive that would be. And I would have missed out on a really amazing life with my husband, my kids, and all of that. If I had been hijacked by that message, it breaks my heart to see young people going through surgeries, life-altering surgeries that will take away their reproductive powers. Mm-hmm. I mean, I made so many dumb choices as a 15 year old if i had made choices as a 15 year old that would have steered the rest of my life that those weren't necessarily the best choices i ever made in my life but i'm looking at it from the standpoint of being in my 50s now and you know yes like i i i hear all of like what is happening to the person but then when you look at corporations they're like 15 year olds too because now it's like, well, if I don't say Black Lives Matter or raise a black fist or have a rainbow stripe on my website. Or, or have a boy uh, modeling makeup yeah, for, for yeah, a yes. major makeup company. Sephora, yeah. you know, like if, if I'm if I'm if I'm not, you know, if I'm Sephora and I don't have a trans model or something like that, well, then now I'm going to get canceled. Now, I don't get to belong to the to the in group. And so it's like, yes, we see this on the individual level with young kids, but you also see it, like you were saying, like on the larger social spectrum of do you affirm these things? And if you don't affirm them, then your social credit, like your, your clout, like you aren't a part of the cool kids group. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, and again, we have to remember that there's a spiritual battle going on and it's not just, it's not just this realm on earth that's happening this is a spiritual battle. And, uh, you know, Paul, as we know, Satan is the prince of the power of the air. And um, so we have to be aware of the, the spiritual dimension of it. And we have to, as you know, believers, I really, I mean, and I, I do this a lot. I, we have to pray about this. We have to pray for these young kids who are going through this. We have to pray for families who are going through this um, because I really think that's, you know, the answer to it. I mean, yeah. we can kind of talk all day long about it, but um, I don't know. I, th- I think eventually there, there's going to be, the pendulum is going to swing back. I'm not sure, but I can imagine the pendulum because it's so extreme now. I can imagine once kind of this uh, comes out, everything comes out in the wash, like the pendulum is going to swing back and people are going to be like, oh yeah, that whole that whole uh, thing we were doing with the LGBTQ plus AA, blah, blah, blah. Like that, that was not sad. It was not fulfilling. It was not, um, it, it, you know, it didn't give meaning to my life really. And so I think maybe there, there, there will be a natural ba- uh, backlash to it or a natural pendulum swinging the other way. I don't know. I don't know how soon that would happen. I hope it happens. I'm wondering if there will, won't start being medical malpractice suits. Oh, yeah. At some point, as these 12, 15 year olds get older, have had these extreme surgeries, 
if they migrate into adulthood, one thing I thought that could bring the pendulum back is if there start to be a lot of malpractice suits. Um, I don't know, but I, and I appreciate your point about the spiritual component because quite honestly, that's a component of this conversation that I feel like doesn't get talked about enough. I mean, we're, we're going through in our, our catechism right now, the question of being created in the image of God being created male and female, who would have thought, you know, 10 years ago, what a radical statement that would have been in the catechism. But this is a foundational component to our faith that men and women are different and men are not women and women are not men, you know? So it's, it's um, an interesting time in which we live, but I, I'm so heartened to hear you bring up that spiritual component because I think the confusion over male and female is a demonic scheme and it has unfortunately taken hold of uh, many people right now. So, yeah. And I, you know, this goes, this goes back to the garden, to the fall, but it also, I, I, you know, I talk, I've done a couple of shows on, um, on Jean-Jacques Rousseau, but I think the the 18th century philosopher, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, uh, he's from Geneva, but he lived in France for many years. <clears throat> he, um, and Carl Truman talks about this in his book, uh, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. But Rousseau, I, I feel like next to uh, Adam and Eve, Rousseau has wrought the most destruction to has on the world than anyone else other than Adam and Eve. And the way, the reason I say that is because his philosophy was the progenitor for so many things, including the French revolution, which was a catastrophe. And there was the reign of terror. Many people were guillotined. I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of people were guillotined, including the people who started the, the, the uh, revolution, Robespierre and the Jacobins all guillotined but the fundamental problem with and this is what's going on in our culture right now so there's rousseau and and everything that's being taught in in universities and every kind of policy not every uh, many policy decisions in washington are based on rousseauian philosophy which is to say he's he famously said man is is born free but he is everywhere in chains Meaning the man in nature, the noble savage, as he, he called the man in nature. Now, this was a hypothetical person. It, it wasn't, he wasn't literally talking about an actual person in nature, but hypothetically, he was saying the man in nature, like basically on a, think of like a, a deserted island or whatever, uh, the, the, the man in nature is, is good. So there's no original sin. So man is good. Man is born good. And what corrupts man is the second he enters into society. Because when he, because in his state in nature, he's his authentic self. And that's what we're seeing right now. Everyone wants to be authentic. That's all Rousseau. Um, So as soon as man enters into society, he's corrupted by society because he now has to conform to the mores and the codes and the traditions of that society. So he can no longer be his authentic, true self. And so the remedy, what's the remedy? 
the remedy is the government. The government must step in because that man, that noble savage is a victim of society. And the government, it's the government's job now to rectify that and be the antidote to that. And if that, when you, that's playing out in every aspect of culture right now. And uh, that is every single university professor is a Rousseauian and through and through, whether they realize it or not. And everything we're seeing right now in culture is Rousseauian. And um, so we, we, have to, we have to understand, and I say this to people all the time, you have to understand we're in a specific time and place in history, and you have to look at what has led us to this place, what philosophies have, have led to this place, what, how, like, how did the sexual revolution from the 60s um, shape how I think about sec, this, uh, sexual ethics? How did the gay movement in the 70s shape how I feel about homosexual behavior. How did those movements, and so we're not just living in a vacuum right now. Right. We are products of decades and centuries, in fact, of, of philosophies and ideas that have very, very pernicious, destructive effects on the culture. And now I think the Rousseauian um, paradigm has really in this time has really come home to roost. This yes. is like this is where it's just like full. It's full bore right now with him. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's it's all the conversations of systems. How do we overturn the different systems so that people can truly live and thrive in, and be who they were meant to be? Their authentic self. Their authentic self. Yeah, because it's society that's so bad, but society is made up of systems. And how do we, right. you know, overturn the systems? How do we have the revolution to make? society better so that the person can thrive. Yeah. All right, let's go to the some other, questions. Other issue, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Quickly is that, you know, Rousseauians and, and, and what we're seeing in culture is, is this idea that utopia is possible on this earth. And anti-racism. That, and we, we've, we've already seen the, the 20th century is strewn with dead bodies from, from this kind of striving for a utopia on earth. There is no possible utopia on earth until Christ returns. That's the only time it's going to happen. When he creates the new heavens and new earth, that will be utopia for those who are in Christ. And this effort by politicians, et cetera, et cetera, to kind of try and strive to create this utopia only leads to destruction. We saw it in the 20th century. We still haven't learned our lesson. So anyway, I had to put that in. Yeah, but this is why worldviews matter. Because yeah. when your worldview says that man is inherently good, well, we understand from the Christian perspective that, or from the Christian worldview that, no, that's not true. Yeah, we are wicked. not, we, <laughs> we are wicked. wicked. We got some stuff going on. It is not right. And, you know, much of what you're saying about this whole utopia thing, it like, gosh, I think I, I want to say I wrote this in um, my review of Kendi's book, this idea of utopia. If you just do all of these things because man is inherently good, we will reach the place of having no more racism, no more sexism, no more homophobia, no more, you know, whatever his isms listed are. But that's just not true. And this is why worldviews matter. I know you're waiting to say something, girl. Go what's ahead. Funny, wait, what's, what's funny about that is they'll say- She ain't getting no comment today. Go ahead. 
What's funny about what you just said, Monique, is that, you know, it's like utopia is possible. Kendi says it's possible, blah, blah, blah. And then you, but you look at their lives and like, they're in the middle of a terrible divorce with their wife or husband. You know what I mean? It's like, come on, come on. You know what I yes. mean? It's like, do you see how wicked and sinful your heart you is? You didn't run off with the Black Lives Matter money. Well, we can't, we can't, we, we can't, you, you didn't took the money and bought your houses. You going through a divorce. You don't know what you're doing. Canyon. Yes. 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 You living with the oppressors. What? I'd like to have a house in Topanga. Thank you. You know, I want to have, have a house in Topanga Canyon. Yes. Yeah. But no. You need some of that BLM money, but we can't find it. No, I don't want that wicked money. The devil is a lie. <laughs> Uh-uh, I don't want that. I don't want to touch it. You might burn. Don't touch it. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Okay, now just it's your sorry. turn. I, I just think it's funny that you're talking to Beckett about worldviews. When when you came here four years ago, you didn't even know what a worldview was. I did. And she don't know me. She don't, don't pay no attention to this woman behind the curtain. You don't know her life. Okay, yeah, exactly. Now, what I was going to... Becky is so smart. I, feel I like, know. I'm like, yeah. I don't know if I should be in this conversation. Y'all go ahead. But yes, worldviews matter. Now, that was your line. That's I why I, I said it. I wanted to say it before you said it because I figured Becky took it to Genesis. So what you don't know, Becky, is that Krista will always take... It don't matter what conversation we talking about. We could be talking about puppies and poodles, <laughs> plants, no matter. We could be talking about the Antichrist. Everything comes back to Genesis. For Krista. And so <laughs> yeah. you took it to Genesis. Yes. All right. Took it to Genesis. Let's do some questions here. We got a lot and of by questions. The way, I just want to, before the questions, I just want to say, I, okay. So God, Jesus said, love God and love your neighbor. Those were the two commands. He said the law and the prophets, it's all fulfilled in those commandments. Love God and love your neighbor. Now, I just want to say for the record that I have nothing but love for my LGBTQ neighbor, nothing but love. I have so many friends who all I do is I, I pray for them and love them. And, uh, and what's funny is like, you know, the world calls it hate speech, but it's actually love speech. When I, when you tell the truth in Leviticus 19 or 17 verse, wait, what is it? Hold on. I have to find this, but loving your neighbor means telling your neighbor the truth. Um, and I just want to, for, oh, in Leviticus, uh, where is it? I've got it. Hold on. Uh-oh. Okay. Yeah. N chapter 19, verse 17, it says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. In other words, we have to tell the truth. We have to, and, and people are going to accuse us of, of, of using hate speech, but it's, it's the, it's, again, we live in this upside down world. It's actually love speech. The like, I tell people this all the time who are in the gay community. I'm like, I, all I care about is your eternal salvation. I love you that much. Like, I don't, like all this other stuff we can debate, but I, I, I care about your eternal destiny because I love you. I love my neighbors. I love my gay neighbors. And I live in a building with gay people in it. Um, I, uh, so I just want to state that for the record that it's not, it's not what I get upset about is Satan's deception and these systems that are in place, as you would say, Monique. Um, that's what, that's what upsets me, but I, yeah. 
I'm a fan you. Go ahead and preach. <laughs> preach. If this was black church, we would have a fan for you. Yes, we would. And it would have Martin Luther King on the back instead of all the things. But I will still fan you. Or white you. Jesus. We got the, yeah. We got white yes, Jesus. We will fan you. Because it's, it's oh, yeah. You know what? I know Krista over, she is impatiently waiting. So I'm going to go ahead and release it. Impatiently. But just know that you got the first fan of the season speaking that word. Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So we've, we're going to try to go through a few questions here real quick. Um, as Azanath Spencer, uh, who's a friend of a frequent listener here at the show in Chicago, she says that her son says that she's a homophobe. And I got a little more info on her question um, that she's discouraged because she's she's discouraged him from having a close relationship with a family member who's homosexual. And so she just needs a little help working through the question of what to do with friends who are gay. Like how much fellowship do we have with them? Hmm. So the word homophobia is, it's a, it's a very strategic word and it's to make, because the phobias are irrational. Like if I, if I have a fear of heights, that's an irrational fear. And so using that term homophobia, what it does is it makes the person feel like if you call someone homophobic, it makes them feel like they're being irrational. And it's such a, it's such a um, terrible tack to take because what's actually what, what the reality is, is when, when someone calls you, accuses you of being homophobic, and I'll get to the other part of this in a minute, but when someone accused you of being homophobic, the response isn't um, to kind of retreat and be like, oh, I guess I'm, I guess I am, and I'm bigoted and I'm hateful. No, the response is, I have, I believe in the authority and inerrancy of God's word. And I have a very specific worldview because of that. And so you discounting you're by calling me homophobic, you're completely discounting my worldview. And we can, so you can use <laughs> my truth versus their truth, that whole thing. You can use that on others. You can say, no, now you're, now you're discounting my convictions and my truth. You're discounting my beliefs, but in terms of, um, What's so funny, what's so not funny, what's so ironic about all of this is back in, in when I came out as, you know, as a young person, um, I, I just lost my th train of thought. What was the second part of that question? It's, it's just about like f friendships with gay people. Like how, how, you know, I think, I mean, I think I know the answer to this, but I think she's struggling with how to give her son counsel on being friends with a gay person or a gay friend, you know, and, and how to navigate some of that. Well, you navigate, see, it's hard because you really, you have to have really strong convictions about the biblical sexual ethic to be able to navigate those friendships without without being pulled, sucked into it, without being kind of, mm -hmm. um, without your convictions uh, being thrown out because of that. And so that's a really important thing is, is 
but yes, I, I say, you know, that's okay. I'll just use myself as an example. My, my, obviously my convictions are very, very strong about this issue. And so I'm able to love my gay friends. I'm able to love them as Christ would love them. Now, in terms of like, how much time do you spend with them? And that's a, that's a, that's a difficult thing to know. Um, I will say when after, right after I got saved, I tried to kind of almost continue my life. I, you know, I had, I was part of my church and I had a ton of new Christian friends, which was amazing, but I still tried to sort of hang on to a lot of my old friends and go to dinner parties with them and, and socialize with them a lot. And what I found is it, is it was very difficult for me because we had different worldviews. And um, what was difficult is the conversation at these dinner parties was all horizontal. There was no vertical, there was no chance of a vertical conversation. And when I was newly saved, all I wanted to talk about was God, this vertical conversation. And everyone else at the dinner table, at these fancy dinner parties, all they would talk about were like, it was all gossip. It was all like, mm -hmm. who's, you know, and who's doing this in fashion or who's doing that or what, you know, this person in New York is doing or blah, blah, blah. And it was mostly gossip. And I just found myself kind of like almost an outside. I, well, I was, I was an outsider at that point. And so it became, it became difficult. So now when I spend time with my old friends or with, with people in the gay community, I'm very intentional about it. Um, I, I go, first of all, I pray about it before I spend time with, with these, my friends. And I, I pray about it and I ask the Holy Spirit to give me wisdom in the, in every kind of situation or any conversation we have. And, um, and he does. And so I don't, I have to say, I don't spend, I spend most of my time now with my Christian friends because because that's that I'm in the body of Christ now, but, but yes, when I do uh, interact with my old friends or, or even people I meet who are in that community, I, I am very intentional about it. And it's not just like, let's just hang out for, I don't know. It, it's a, it's a hard, it's a hard, that's a hard question. It's hard to say like, how much time do you spend with the, you know, someone in that community? Yeah. It, um, it, it's hard to quantify, but I think like we've got a couple of parents on the stream too, we're asking a similar question about their kids because I think they don't necessarily want to turn every holiday into a conversation about, Hey, are, are you, do you have any movement on that whole gay thing? Like they don't want to do that, but they want to foster those relationships in a real way and keep that connection strong wherever they can with the child um, so that, you know, that's a, that's a solid thing and everything doesn't just become centered on the, the, the adult child's current posture about homosexuality. Well, that's the, that's what I was going to say before when I lost my train of thought is now my parents were so lovely to me. I mean, my parents were, they believed homosexual behavior was wrong. They were Christians. They're in heaven right now, both of them. Amazing. But they were so loving towards me. And so uh, they never withheld their love. They never um, tried to quote Bible verses to me because they already knew what it, I, 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 they knew that I knew what they believed. 
And what I was going to say is back, back in the day, it used to be that when kids came out to their parents, the parents, you know, like in a bad situation, the parents would kick the, the kid out of the house, but now it's the opposite. The kids are kicking the parents out. The kids are like, I don't want to associate with you anymore because you don't fully affirm my life. And so it's kind of this weird, it's just done, we've done a 180 in that, in that regard. And uh, it's just the, it's the intolerance of tolerance, but, but yeah, it's, uh, but, but in, in terms of, of this situation, I, I would just say, um, this is what, you know, Billy Graham says, it's, it's God's job to judge. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict and it's my job to love. So I would just love people as much as you can and as generously as you can, but do not let go of your convictions Yeah, because of that love. That's good. All right, let's go out to Allison's question. She's got one here. She says, uh, have any of your gay friends reached out to you and asked about God, meaning being intrigued by your conversion, wanting God, wanting out of the gay lifestyle too? Yes. Um, so I've had... It, remarkably and praise God, I've had three, two old friends and one newish friend who have come out of the gay life and become Christians and are now just like absolutely on, you know, fire for the Lord and committed Christians. They get it. They know that homosexual behavior. I have a friend in New York who, um, he became a Christian a couple of, a few years ago. And, uh, and a friend here and a friend who's now, he used to live here, but he's now in Sweden, three gay guys who are now, who are now Christians and they totally get it. Like their eyes are completely opened and they're just like, wow, like, I can't believe I was in the dark. And so I've seen, and I've had a lot of old, older, old friends of mine reach out to me straight or gay uh, privately and ask, you know, say things like, you know, your story is really intriguing. Like, I wish I had what you had. I wish I had the certainty you had about every, about life, the afterlife, like everything. And I think people, people are coming around. They've seen me as a Christian for 12 years now, and they've seen me walk with the Lord and they see my posts. I just, all I do is post about Jesus. So <laughs> if there's a, they're just probably tired of me, but, but they're, they're coming around. And I think that, um, a lot of them, I've gotten a lot of people messaging me on social media and emailing me or texting me, asking me more about God or asking me about my story or just stuff like that. So it's, it's encouraging. Okay. We're just looking through all the comments. We want to get all the good questions here. Now, see, I'm just going to give an intermission because Kita, Rakita and Dana, they don't tell me you would most likely find a funeral home on the back of the fan instead of MLK. And I, yes, I was trying to keep it light and, you know, mentioned MLK. Didn't want to go heavy with the funeral home, but funeral homes on the back of the fans are more common than Martin Luther. When I visited Black Church with you, it had a funeral. It had a funeral home on the back of the fan. Yes. <laughs> and it was a funeral home I had been to. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so there, there in, we go. In LA. All right. Yes. Go ahead. All right. So we got a question on Facebook. Uh, from Dana, that says Dana. Yes. yes. What do you do with the judge not deflection that's so put often put on us? 
Oh, that's a, that's a, yeah. Judge not lest you be judged. <clears throat> um, yeah. When Jesus said that he was, he was saying, take the plank out of your own eye before you judge others. So in other words, don't be a hypocrite, but we're still as, as believers, we're still supposed to be discerning and judge what's right and wrong. Uh, we're absolutely supposed to do that. I mean, the, the New Testament is littered with, with uh, exhortations to do that. I, I can't think of one right off the top of my head right now, but there are so many. And um, so, yeah, that, that, again, that's a red herring. Judge not lest you be judged. People like not, you know, the, the world, the secular world loves to, to glom onto that one verse. And a text taken out of context is a pretext for a proof text. So <laughs> don't believe that. But uh, yeah, if you just go to that passage, I don't have time right now, or we don't have. It's time. like Matthew 7, 1, I believe. Yeah, is if you the go to that reference. passage and yeah. read the entire passage, instead of just that one verse, you'll see that Jesus, that we are to be discerning and judge. We're, we're not just supposed to not care about anything. We have. We're, we're united to Christ. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We have the word of God, which is the plumb line, which is the truth. And so we know we can, we can judge any kind of idea, philosophy, worldview based on this plumb line, based on the, the, the architecture of this. Like we know what the plumb line is. So we can judge, is this, is this right or is this wrong? When I lived in a postmodern world, uh, before I was a Christian, I was very postmodern. I, I the, to me, there there was no right, no wrong. There was no truth. Um, everything was subjective. Even language was subjective. I was a postmodernist, and that's what the world is right now. And um, Foucault, by the way, yeah, Foucault and Rousseau are both. <laughs> just Foucault was, was way later, but uh, yeah. So that's a red herring. But yeah, just read that whole passage. Thank you. Sorry, we were still, we're trying, like there's a lot of comments and we, we're trying to multitask. Oh. Yeah. yeah. But the the fact that it is a red herring and how do you, you know, come, come to answer these questions and not get sidetracked or thrown yeah. by people's deflections or, you know, some of these like fallacies that they'll throw out and things like that, it... It can be difficult, but I think that's, go ahead. Sorry. I, I think that a way that I found that's helpful in, in that conversation is to draw people's attention to other passages that do show that we are commanded to judge. Judge rightly. Yeah. So we have to judge rightly. What are the, what are the criteria for judging? What are we doing? And um, yeah, in the same passage, in the same chapter, Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. He's judging. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and he's so, telling you to judge. Yes. He's telling you, beware, ju judge, like, you know, so how, how will the you same chapter? Yes. Like <laughs> if I don't make a judgment, how will I know that this person is a ravenous wolf? Yeah. I'm just going to sit here and accept, yeah. but, but if we true, how many churches just sitting here accepting everything, not judging rightly. No, not... I know it's bad. Bad yeah. news. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've covered a lot of themes that are in the questions. Um, and it's, the hour is late. I know Beckett's got this whole Instagram situation. <laughs> so um yeah by the way if anyone sees my instagram don't buy bitcoin there's some i've been hacked and it's saying to buy bitcoin you selling bitcoin now <laughs> is 
that your side hustle? Yeah, so- I know. I don't even know what's going on. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Well, tell people how they can get connected with your ministry and what you do and about your podcast yes. and that sort of thing. Yeah. So I have a show on YouTube and it's a podcast as well called the Becca cook show. And I talk about stuff like this. I talk about the culture, the lies of the, because I believe the lies of the culture for so long. I talk about the lies of the culture and the biblical truth behind the lies on my show. And, um, and you know, I'm, you can find me at beccacook.com. But yeah, we're in, I'm, I speak a lot around the country, but I'm excited that <laughs> Monique, we're going to be on three more. Hey, the Texas, Dallas, we're going to Dallas, Texas, Augusta, Georgia, Augusta, Georgia, and Philly, Philly. Yeah. Yeah. So well, people can well, go check it out at realityapologetics.com. The next stop is Dallas, Texas, yeah. then Philly. Then you guys are going to wrap up in Augusta, Georgia. Yes. We yeah. Come are. to Dallas. If you're in the D- Dallas area, come see us. Yes. We're going to have some fun. I cannot wait. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks for doing this, Becca. We appreciate it. Thank Let you me guys. know if you got the inside scoop on the Bitcoin. <laughs> okay. It was I'm great just... being on your show. Well, thanks All for things. Yes, things. thanks for coming on and chopping it up with us and yep. dropping some insight and, you know, reminding us that truly this is a spiritual battle and we must be in prayer. Yes. All right. Thank you so much. Take care. God bless. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. Becca Cook. Just a delightful human being. I love his little laugh. Just a delightful human. He's such human. a happy person. He's humongous. He's tall. He's, He's very tall. tall. Like, I'm like five nine and a half. I generally say 5'10", but, you know, I'm trying to keep it honest these days. Um, He's way taller than me. Yeah. He's such a good guy. Yeah. I'm, it's been nice to get to know him a little bit on the tour. This was great to get to know him even a little bit more. A little bit more. So, all right. So, we got... a. We got the Impact 360 video, and then we'll be she right back. She ain't been here in a while. I know. In two minutes. We've got one more segment for you. Stay tuned. Everywhere I looked, everything I read, all the things the world told me about who I was, what I should like, it was all there. The thinking had been done for me. But... What if you can't shake the feeling that you are destined to be something else? Someone else? Someone other than just popular. Or unpopular. The smart one. The jock. The Christian. The sinner. In the world today, how does anybody know who? Or what to be. Or what to even know. I found those answers and more. I learned how to think through the superficial problems and transcendent issues before me. And begin to understand what God has revealed and why faith is not blind. What I believe in my heart from my experiences. To know and respond to endless challenges of my faith with love and with confidence. So that I may listen and engage because I know what I believe is true. community where you are transformed in your character as you discover your identity in Christ. 
and your God-given calling. It's not only who you are, but where you should be. A community where you are cultivated as a leader. Where you will learn how to live a life of service to others as you follow Jesus Christ. The Impact 360 Institute is a community of experiential and holistic learning where you develop confidence in what you have always believed in your heart to be the truth. Then take what you know about God and what you know about yourself and live as an agent of change in your own community. Know Jesus more deeply. Be transformed in your character. Live a life of kingdom influence. Know. Be. Live. We are grateful to the people at Impact 360 who um, help to make our podcast happen every single week. So yes. Super grateful. Check out Impact 360 and their programs. They have everything from high school programs all the way up through a master's program. So it's kind of like anything and everything in between. You can go for a week. You can go for two weeks. You can do a nine-month gap year program. You know, if your child or you are, you know, in between that high school and college phase you're not sure what you want to do um after high school take a gap year and get grounded in your worldview so let's talk a little bit about our show next week yes uh having a guest on that i have been trying to get for about two two and a half years uh monique gets the big guest she got him uh so we're going to be talking to ryan bomberger from the radiance foundation on interracial adoption Yes. Yeah. It's something that um, we definitely need to have more conversations around. The interracial, interethnic adoptive community has really had some hard blows um, in regards to the race conversation. Is it okay for, you know, interethnic families to actually happen? You know, can a white family adopt a black or brown child or is that colonization and colonialism? So there's a lot of conversation in the the adoptive community overall. And so we want to bring Ryan on and just have it. some conversation about, like, what's the real? How do you see it? Yeah. Uh, Ryan is uh, also a pro-life advocate yeah. and he has a wonderful testimony. So we're really looking forward to having him on. I know that many of the families who follow the ministry, um, you know, they, they struggle with this issue. They they want to be foster parents or they want to adopt, but the world is telling them that that's another form of oppression. That's mm-hmm. another form of colonization. And yet adoption has such a long history and connection to our faith as Christians. In fact, it's one of the major motifs the father gives us about our relationship with him mm-hmm. is that we have been adopted into God's family. So we're going to reflect on that next week. So invite your friends, let them know about this. Many people in the transracial adoption community are hurting. Uh, they've been run over by critical race theory. So we're looking forward to having this conversation with Ryan. Yes. Yes. And everyone, it has been such a pleasure to be back. Yes. It's, it's we're been a, little a rusty. long time. You know, we got to get rusty. some kinks out. Yeah. But we are so glad to be back. Thank you, everyone who tuned in please share this show with a friend or an enemy you know let people know that we are still here um if you have not liked our facebook pages instagram go do that now subscribe to our youtube channel and get those analytics up there yeah all right all right we'll see you next week god bless
Thanks for listening to All The Things. Be sure to subscribe to our website at allthethingsshow.com and find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you stream your podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll see you next week.